Now, if you got your Bibles this morning, I want you to go ahead and turn with me to the book of Philippians, and we're going to continue. Thank you, brother. I needed my reading glasses this morning. Uh, we're going to continue in a series, as you stand, um, for the reading of God's Word, a series called God's All-Encompassing Reach that we've been in, and we've seen how God uh, reached down to reveal himself, reaches out to touch and change lives, reaches into the hearts as only he, he can do. And this morning on Resurrection Day, we're going to talk about how he reached up so that he might, uh, through his resurrection, connect us with the Father. So if you found your place in Philippians chapter 2, looking at verse 9, it says, For this reason God also highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And Father, we do thank you for this, this truth that you have been exalted, lifted high, first on a cross, then through the resurrection, then you became our ascended Savior, seated at the right hand of the Father. And everyone will worship you. May we begin to do so here and before it's everlastingly too late. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. It was May Day, 1990, in the USSR, and President Gorbachev actually had um, one of those typical parades that would display all of the vast power at that time, still unwilling to admit any kind of defeat during the Cold War days. And so missiles and, and tanks and uh, soldiers and, and all kinds of military equipment that would be used in war would be paraded through the streets of Moscow. But this year in 1990, a year before the wall came down, this year there were more protesters there were people who had gathered together, and they were marching behind the parade. They were chanting words like bread, freedom, and some were shouting expressions of their own faith. Many, indeed, in that crowd who were protesting were of the Christian faith. Chuck Colson, in his book, The Body, would later write about this, and as they would shout words like bread and freedom and truth, there was a giant cross that was lifted. And, and uh, uh, some priests had put together this giant cross that would be stood up. And so as the parade was leaving the scene of Gorbachev, where some posters were supposed to have uh, prominently portrayed uh, Marx and Lenin, those great, if you want to call them that, <laughs> At least they were to Gorbachev, great leaders and founders of that communist generation. They, they saw the cross being lifted up. And, and someone shouted, and, and they called Gorbachev by his middle of the name, if I can pronounce it. But they said, Mikhail Sergeyevich. And when he, when he gave them his attention for a moment, they shouted, Christ is risen. Christ is risen. What's interesting is a year and a half later, 
the Berlin Wall would come down. The USSR, as it was or had been in all of its power, would, would come crumbling down and would be no more. And it became a picture of the fact of what we just read in this passage, that kings and kingdoms will come and go. Those with military might will come and go. But one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And for those who think Christianity is dead, I've got news for you. As long as Jesus Christ is alive and well, he will have a people who worship him and who bow the knee. And one day he will come again. And for some, it will be by choice and others... It will be because they never did it in this life. They will all recognize that Jesus is Lord and exalt his name. He was reaching down and revealing himself. We saw that a few weeks ago. He reached out and showed compassion. We saw that in the life of Zacchaeus. He reaches into hearts and changes lives. And there needs to be a day and a time in your life and in my life where he reaches in and begins to change us from the inside out. And the resurrection reminds us that he reached back up. He took hold of the hand of God and the hand of man who he's redeeming, and he draws us together and restores the relationship. I just want to make a few comments, and we'll be done this morning. You can celebrate all the other wonderful aspects of Easter and spend some time with your family, but don't miss these truths. Number one, Jesus removed that which, was, that which had separated us from the Father, and he removed it through the blood of his cross. This past Friday night was a wonderful celebration of the cross. As we looked at the seven last sayings of Christ from the cross, and when I look at this passage, I'm reminded that the first part of this song here speaks of how Jesus was in very nature God in verse 6, but he laid that aside in verse 7. He emptied himself. Becoming obedient, verse 8, to the point of the death of a cross. And it's for this reason. So when you come to verse 9 and it says, for this reason, it's because the Son of God had put on flesh, lived a sinless life, and died on a cross in your place and in my place. The Bible says we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all deserving of death and hell, and your death and my death, and all of hell for all eternity for all of us who would ever believe was concentrated in form and was in that cup that Jesus prayed would pass from him and poured out on Jesus at one moment. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through, one through 3 says, I wrote, and this is Luke speaking to Theophilus, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, speaking of the gospel of Luke, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen, after he had suffered. Notice that after he had suffered, Christ had to suffer once for sin, the just for the unjust. Why? That he might bring us to God. It says, after he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing or infallible proofs. Those convincing and infallible proofs have caused men like Lee Strobel, who had been uh, an atheist and a skeptic working with the Chicago Tribune, an investigative journalist saying, listen, I'm going to prove through investigative journalism that Jesus Christ never rose again. And when he looked at the evidence, he had to conclude otherwise, and he gave his heart and his life to Jesus. You may have seen the movie, A Case for Christ, or read his book. Uh, men like Josh McDowell, who said, I'm going to prove it in the court of law, 
uh, as a lawyer that, that the evidence that demands a verdict is that Jesus Christ is dead and never rose again. But after he looked at all the evidence, he said, just as a man, I would have to conclude that there's enough evidence that Jesus Christ is a risen Lord. The evidence should be in your life and in my life that Christ is risen indeed because he has uh, raised us to new life in him. And so he says, by many convincing or infallible proofs appearing to them over uh, 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God, he had to suffer first. And then he presented to them himself to those to whom he would start a movement. So in verse 4, he promises, now the Holy Spirit that I've told you about, he's going to come, he's going to give you power from on high, and the church is going to be that living testimony of my resurrection in the days to come. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Pastor Ben pointed this out this morning in our sunrise service. That long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. He said in the Old Testament, God showed up in all kinds of ways. And, and, and he was speaking through the prophets and the fathers, revealing himself in his word. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, speaking of Jesus. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him, the son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After, notice this, before there was a resurrection, after making purification for our sins. He went to the cross for your sin and for my sin. Who crucified Jesus? Some would argue it was the Jews. Others would argue that it's the Romans. It was also your sin and my sin that placed Jesus on the cross. And the wrath of God that demanded justice for those sins against the holy God was poured out, should have been on us, but Jesus took it in our place. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became higher in rank than all the angels, just as in the name, or just as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. Every knee, what Paul said, would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then in Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 through 15, having been buried with him in baptism. Wasn't that beautiful this morning to see these children baptized by their fathers as a picture of them having expressed their faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord, after having been Buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. That's what baptism pictures, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when you were dead in trespasses and in this uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses, all our trespasses, past, present, future. What sins did Christ die for? He died for all sin. He died for the sin of the world. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are, sin, we are forgiven of our sin, past, present, and future. Now, knowing that your future sins are forgiven is not a license to sin. If you look at it that way, you, you pervert grace to the point that I doubt you understand it and you haven't truly been born again. But when we understand that we are free 
We have a new desire to live for Jesus. Having our sins forgiven, all of those sins that he atoned for on the cross. And look at verse 14. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligation. Some of us have financial debts. Wouldn't you love to just know that somebody calls you up and says, by the way, all of those debts have been wiped out. You're now debt free. That's what Jesus did to your sin debt. With its obligations, that was against us and opposed to us. That sin debt caused us to feel like we are trapped in sin. And when people don't comprehend, and I've talked with young people about this before, especially in my, when I was a youth pastor, I'd speak to young people about this because when they didn't understand what it meant to be forgiven, sometimes they would feel like because of their sinful choices in their past that they were bound to a life of sin and that they couldn't help it. But we need to be reminded of Romans 8.1 that says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that when we walk according to the Spirit instead of according to the flesh, the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in us. Back to the text here in Colossians. Look what he did to that sin. He has taken it out of the way by doing what? Nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. Jesus died publicly and he disgraced the devil in his hell publicly at that moment. And he triumphed over them by him, nailing those sins to a cross so that he could rise and bring us to the Father, that sin which stood in the way of our relationship. My sin, as the songwriter says, all the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Can you imagine how he got so excited writing those lyrics? First name of the songwriter, I believe his name was Horatio. He had Lost a a, a son at a young age. He had four daughters. He was married. He lost all of his assets in the great Chicago fire. And then when he was preparing to go overseas with his family to minister, he sent his wife and his four daughters on ahead, and the ship they were on went down. And his wife was the only one in his family pulled from the ocean and rescued with a few others. And she writes back saying to her husband, saved alone, what shall I do? And when he came to meet her there and he came over that place, he began to write that song, It Is Well With My Soul. When sorrows like sea billows roll. But when he came to that verse, writing that verse, Considering our sin is what keeps us from being in a peaceful relationship. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the tree, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Have you come to a place in your life where you know that your sin has been nailed to the cross because you've trusted in Christ's atoning death for your salvation? I pray that the Holy Spirit would not let you rest today or any day until you know that you have that peace. Second truth I want to share with you this morning. Jesus rose from the dead to prove victorious over the cross. Yes, the cross itself was a moment of victory, but to prove victorious himself over the cross, 
Going back to this passage in Philippians, verse 9, this reason God exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, Greek, Jesus, the Greek version of the Hebrew name Yeshua, Joshua, God's salvation, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and those who are on earth and those under the earth. He raised him up, gave him a name above every name. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4 says this has been declared, or Jesus, speaking of Jesus, has been declared to be the powerful Son of God by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness. Oh, he was the Son of God when he stepped onto this planet, but he was declared. It was made known publicly. There was no doubt about it. He was victorious as the Son of God, powerfully through the resurrection, by the resurrection of the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness. And the same Spirit that raises Christ from the dead is the Spirit that lives in me and in you. There's no good news without that, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. The only good news Paul said that we have is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. We have no other good news other than that. I remember a country song. Don't you love country music? Some of you all, yes, sir. We we used to say, what do you get when you play country music backwards? You get your dog back, your truck back, your wife back, right? But I do remember a country song that went something like this. It said, sure could use a little good news today. And I wanted to be able to have access to the microphone at the radio station and say, I've got a, little good, I've got a lot of good news for you. Jesus Christ is alive and well. He died for your sins. He loves you. And no matter how much bad news this world has, the fact that Christ has risen is all the good news that you need. Anybody could use a little good news. Open this book and begin to read it. It is chock full of good news about a risen Lord. And then 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. We were singing praise the name, right? Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. A living hope. Presented to us this morning so powerfully by these children, but he has presented it to to us, or he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Yes, we identify with him in his death, but we are identified with him also in his resurrection. Jesus would say in John chapter 11 and verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Even if he dies, he will continue to live. You say, but, but what about my sin? What about that problem that I have battling the devil and, and, and the attacks and, and, and the sin that attacks me day in and day out or, or that memory of a dark past of, of some choices that I made that I know that did not honor God that hurt me that may have hurt my family? What about that sin in my past? We've already seen he had removed that. But how do you go on? We sang it this morning, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, not only is all fear gone, but all my sin is gone. Because 
I know he holds the future. Life is worth the living just because he lives. Listen, the devil will try to hold you in bondage even after you've been set free. I received an email. I think everybody with a Emmanuel College web address might have received this. At least all the faculty did. Received an email that was one of these uh, ransom scams. Anybody ever received one of those emails before? It was um, saying... We have taken over your computer, and we have been watching you. Every time you open your computer in your home, it sees everything that's going on in your house. And uh, you, you start to see that, and you're like, really? Unfortunately, some people read those scams, and they actually go to the websites and pay money to keep that from being made public. So there was this threat. Every video we have is going to be made public. Things you would be embarrassed about is going to be made public. If you don't send some money, (laughs) that's how you know it's a scam, right? If you don't send some money to this particular, and there was a place to actually go online and give money. I don't know how people get away with that, and I don't know why people would actually send money to a scam like that. But I thought, man, it should be enough for all of us who are Christians to know that God is always watching us. And, and I remember reading the little chick track when I was a kid that kind of showed you standing trembling before God in heaven. And then there's this big movie theater. Now, back then, we went to drive-in movies. So, I mean, this was a big screen, right? This big screen, and everybody in heaven's watching. And it's going to show this was your life, right? And all of your sins are going to be displayed sins you did that everybody knew about and sins that you committed that nobody knew about. All of these sins are going to be displayed in heaven for everybody to see. Could you imagine that moment? Now it would be an HD screen, right? The biggest smart screen ever on display. And all of a sudden, your life is about to be shown. Your sins are about to be shown. But because you put your faith and trust in the resurrected Lord just before the film rolls, the blood of Jesus just flows over that screen. And there is nothing to show but the blood of Jesus. The accuser of the brethren, the devil himself, is silent because they overcame him, Revelation 12, 11, by the word of their testimony, by the blood of the Lamb, and they did not love their lives unto the death. Jesus rose from the dead to prove victorious over the cross, giving us victory today. And the last truth I want you to take home with you, Jesus reaches into heaven, and we need this third step, folks. Jesus reaches into heaven to restore me and you to a right relationship with the Father. He reaches into heaven having reached down and reached out and reached in. He's now reaching up, taking hold of heaven and taking hold of us. And restoring us to a right relationship with the Father. To be right related, verse 11, we would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul wrote that in Romans chapter 10, that, that we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord. Confess with our mouth that God raised him from the dead. So every tongue will confess Jesus is the risen Lord to the glory of the Father. 
that placing us in right relationship with the one who in John 14, 6 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. What does that mean for us? I want to turn to Acts chapter 4. Look at it, verses 8 through 12. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, let that pronoun represent you and me, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing. This Jesus is the stone despised by you, the builders, who has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Why is there no other name? Because no one else has ever died in your place, in my place, nor could they, nor would they be worthy. As much as I love my children and would be willing to give my life for them and stand in their place to rescue them, I'm not the sinless Lamb of God who has the power to do that. Only Jesus could do that. And he did that, and he rose again to reach into heaven so that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, so that we are in Christ and Christ in us, now the Father receives us as his children, as sons and daughters. He gives us the spirit of adoption by which we can cry out, Daddy, Father, I love you. And we become passionate about that relationship. And so that it's not just a Sunday morning or not just an Easter Sunday thing for us. It's 24-7 giving our lives to Jesus. It's starting every day like it's Easter Sunday. You know the football teams that often make it to the Super Bowl are the ones who see every Sunday as Super Sunday. We've got to win this game, and we've got to win this game. And the Christian, listen, I know for the church, Easter Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday, right? Not around here every Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. But for the Christian who wakes up every day saying, today I've got to give God my best. Today I'm going to go all out for Jesus because he is alive. We can live too. In closing, I want to share this story that you might be familiar with. I love the resurrection eggs. How many of you know what the resurrection eggs are? I bet some kids here know what I'm talking about. Resurrection eggs, right? If you don't know what they are, Pastor Ben will meet you after church and he will talk you through the resurrection eggs. Right, Pastor Ben? He he has done that so many times. Powerful demonstration of the gospel. Our preschoolers have seen resurrection eggs. They've been in some of our homes. But the resurrection eggs, it's the little plastic eggs and you open them up and they all have something in them to tell the story of Jesus. Before there were resurrection eggs... There was a story that was widely circulated. I had to go back and look it up because I remember it had kind of inspired the whole idea of resurrection eggs. But it was 
about a little eight-year-old boy named Philip who had Down's syndrome and a Sunday school teacher. Philip was in this class and on one particular Sunday, this Sunday school teacher, I guess it was Easter Sunday, but the Sunday school teacher had brought, not, not the resurrection eggs that Family Life Today had not invented yet, right? But back then, ladies know what I'm talking about. Legs, pantyhose company used to put those things in these big silver eggs. I don't know if they still do that or not, right? But I know as kids, we wanted mama's big silver egg. Anybody ever had one of those before? You got mama's big silver egg after she got, she got the pantyhose, you got the egg, right? And uh, you could hide stuff in those. Well, this, this teacher brought enough of those big silver eggs for the whole class. And she said, I want you to all go outside and I want you to find something that reminds you of Easter. And come back in and we'll try to guess who put what in each egg. And when they came back in, they were opening up the eggs and Sometimes it might have a stick in it, and somebody would say, well, that reminds me of a cross beam, and, 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 or, or it might have a butterfly or something else in it. They're opening these eggs. And they get to Philip's egg, not knowing again whose egg was who, and they open it up and nothing's in it. And other kids started to make fun and said, oh, some dummy didn't put anything in the egg. They, they didn't know the project, and they began to laugh and to make fun. And Philip said, uh-huh, I, I know what, that's my egg. And the reason I didn't put anything in that egg is because when they went to the tomb, there was nothing in the grave. And that's what reminds me of Easter. Now, I don't know if you knew that story or not. Perhaps you had heard it before, but little Philip had an injection that would have been no big deal to most kids, but unfortunately to Philip, it made him real sick and he lost his life. The story was told that at his funeral, the friends in that Sunday school class all brought empty pantyhose eggs. They brought those empty silver eggs and they laid them at the altar to be reminded, that's not really Philip. He's with Jesus because Jesus was not in the grave. Where would you be? Where would you be? Would you bow your heads?